Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are now at the time where I think we may be in for a very special blessing. Our speaker has already been introduced to you, the Reverend Scott Barlow from Trinity EPC in, in Florence, but he comes highly recommended by our good friend, Reverend Matt Walton. Reverend Barlow, if you would, I would like to pray for you at this moment. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, may your words be Reverend Barlow's words, and may your thoughts be his thoughts, and Lord, may you inspire us through his message. In thy name we pray, amen. morning, family. If you would be so kind as to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be in verses 1 through 16. We'll look at the first couple of verses and then I'll kind of introduce where we're going and tell you a little bit about myself and then we'll dive into the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope, it belongs to your call. Let's pray. Abba Father, how good it is to be in your house, to be among your people, to be among family, to study your word that we might change and grow. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at this passage, that we would see the heart of Paul and we would see your heart as you call us into maturity and into unity bonded by love, sealed in one faith, we might accomplish the things you have laid before us. These things we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And I'm like Matt. This pulpit is not big enough for me. I will eventually walk off of it. So if you don't mind, I'll come down here. Now I am, bless your hearts, a Southern Baptist minister. You, you can laugh. That's a joke. It's okay. I am ordained in the Southern Baptist Church. I wound up at the EPC Church. I've been there for another years. It has been my home. I, I absolutely love it. And Matt has been preaching through a series, and this year our focus is on engaging with God. And one of the topics he's been on is prayer. And he, over the last couple of weeks, as he talked through it, began, I don't know if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before. Actually, it was last Sunday. He began talking about claiming the things of God. Now, I am not a name-and-claim-it guy because I have seen too many people claim things or not claim things. They'll be sick and say, I'm not claiming it. Or they'll claim things that clearly aren't God's will. And so I've always been hesitant about that, um, that theology or that doctrine. But Matt began to teach on the fact that if we know God's will, if we understand God's will, if we know what it is God wants, then we can pray those things and we can claim them because they are God's will. How can we not claim something that is God's will? 
So as I began to sit there and I began to think about my, what Matt was saying, I began to think of things, that, two things in my life that I knew God was telling me, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for you. This is my desire for you. And that thing hadn't come to pass. And I'd been wrestling from some time with the fact that this is what I do. This is what I'm good at. Uh, I manage a, a group of technical support people for software I'm a good manager, but it's not what the cloth I was cut from. We had spent the previous Wednesday night in elder training, and Matt was going through talking about authority, and as he began teaching through it, and I knew where he was going, I was rushing to the Scriptures ahead of him because I knew where he was going, I knew what we were talking about, I knew where to find the passages, and and I loved every minute of it. And it just hit me again, this is what I was called to do. This is what I'm good at. So that Sunday I began praying and I prayed about the fact, God, help me find my place in your economy. Help me use my gifts for what you've called me to do. Help me to be what it is you'd want me to be. Whatever that is, God, whatever that looks like, whether I'm teaching, whether I'm preaching, whether I'm doing ministry or missions, whatever it is. And then Monday morning, Matt calls me. And Matt says, would you be interested in preaching at Midway? And I said, well, well, let me think about it and pray about it, but I kind of already knew the answer because I had already prayed about it, and and that's why I'm here. So, but this also ties into what I want to talk about this morning. In this passage we have from Paul, Paul has been working through the book of Ephesians, and his first three chapters is really theology and doctrine, and he begins to lay out for us what it is we have in Christ, who we are in Christ, what God has done for us. And in the first chapter and a half, there are some 20-some items that Paul says, you have received these things in Christ. You've been adopted. You've been bought. You've been seated in the heavenlies. you become sons. You are the praise of His glory. You have all of these things in Christ, just item after item after item. It is not something that you can read and not get excited and not be humbled by the fact of the things you have in Christ. And then Paul comes to chapter 4. And he opens up, and one of the the first, the second words you have there is therefore. Now, when I teach, and I teach about how to study the Bible, one of the first things I tell my people is anytime you see the word therefore, you should always ask yourself, what's it there for? It always points back, and Paul is pointing back to all of these things he's been teaching us, all of these things he's been talking about, how we have all of these things in Jesus, who we are and what we've been given and where we should be. And Paul says, therefore, therefore, I want you to do these things. He says, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of which you've been called. Paul says, our calling demands we be united. He says, our calling demands we be united. And we must walk in light of the things we have learned. Let me put this to you in in a way that may make a little more sense. You've heard the American Express commercials? I don't have an American Express car, and I, I really don't care to have a whole lot of credit. It winds up getting you in trouble. But if you've ever heard the American Express commercial, it's what? Membership has its privileges. And they they pass it. Look, you're somebody if you've got an American Express card. Man, you're one of the big dogs. It's got its privileges. You know what they don't tell you in that commercial? 
They don't tell you the requirements. They don't tell you that there's an annual fee, and I think it's over $100. They don't tell you, that, as far as I know, at least it used to be the case, that at the end of every month you've got to pay that card off. And I'll make a monthly payment, but you've got to pay it off. They don't tell you that. They tell you that membership has its privileges. They don't tell you that membership has its requirements. Paul is telling you that when you came to faith in Christ, you have all of these privileges, you have all these blessings, you have all these things God has given you. And we love to rest in those things. We love to celebrate those things. We love to be thankful for those things. And we should. But we don't stop to think that there is a requirement. That there are things we are called to do. And Paul says, in light of all these things God has given you, in light of all these things you have in Christ, in light of what He has given you, walk worthy. Walk united. Walk in a manner by which you have called, you have been called. And he begins by telling us that unity requires love. He says, with all humility in verse 2 and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, be fervent. As a matter of fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all... Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Love is what unifies us. Love is what keeps us together. If there is no love, there is no fellowship. There is no brotherhood. We should love one another. You're my family. You say, we've never met you before. No, but we've met the same Savior. You're my family. I should love you. You should love me. We should love one another. That love is what glues us together. That love is what causes us to be forgiving, to be accepting, to be gentle. Paul says that is part of how you walk worthy in the calling. And he goes on to say that while unity requires love, we are united around the cross. The one thing that unites us, the one thing that separates us from everyone else in the world is the cross of Christ. We have one Father, one Spirit, one baptism, one faith, one holy calling to worship the King, to love Him with all of our hearts, and to fulfill the calling He's given on our lives. That is what unites us, and love is the glue that holds us together. Love is the glue that holds us together. But Paul goes on to say that while we are united, we are diverse. Look at me in verses 7 through 10. Actually, let me back up. I got a little ahead of myself. We'll pick up. We skipped a couple verses. So let's pick up back in verse 5 and we'll read down and we'll look at 7 through 10 just so you have all the context. Again, he says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, above all, who is over all and through all and in all. And in verse 7, he begins through 10, the second thought. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of, the, of Christ's gifts, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower regions of earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. Verse 
There is one saving grace, but there is a multitude of serving graces. Do you follow me? There is one saving grace, only the grace that flows through the cross of Christ. But the cross of Christ and through His resurrection power and through the gifting of the Holy Spirit, each one of us has received a serving grace. We have been given a gift by which to serve the King and one another. And as I was reading through this again last night and studying, as, as I always do as I look through my messages, I find places, well, this didn't flow well. Maybe I need to change up how I've outlined it. And this didn't. And I was thinking through that and decided, no, I'm going to leave it the way it is. And I got to this passage and I had to stop. And I was absolutely wrecked in my spirit. Because as many times as I've read through the Bible, as many times as I've read through this, as many times as I've preached through the book of Ephesians, verses 7 through 10 hit me in a way they've never hit me before. Paul begins to quote there in verse 8. He begins to quote from Psalm 68, 18. It is a picture of a conquering king coming back from battle. He has been out, he has won the war, he has won the victory, he has slain his foes, he has looted the battlefield, he has looted the bodies, he has gone into the city, he's looted the treasuries, he brings back all of these things. And as he's coming into the city, he's passing out gifts. To one a crown, to another a necklace, to some other a bracelet, to another precious gems and gold, swords and shields. Fine clothing, fine cloth, all the greatest spoils, all the greatest riches to those who never went into battle, those who never drew their sword. It's the king that won it. It's the king that bestows it. This is a picture of the fact that you have the gifts you have because Christ won them for you. He won them by the shedding of His blood. The spiritual gifts you have, you have because Christ suffered and bled and died. Every whip of the lector, every drop of blood He shed, every mockery, every beating, every pounding of the nail, every moment He hung across the cross, every moment He had died, every moment He had descended into the uttermost parts of the world until He arose again, paid the price for the gifts you have. So I would ask you, Are you using those gifts? How are you using them to bring unity to the body? Now, your pastor and I talked about the fact of what he shared last week and how he talked about, I believe, being united and other things. This message was already on my heart before he and I talked. So your pastor did not put me up to this, okay? Just because I don't want him coming back and y'all going, look, I don't know what you did. That's not this at all. God was already working in this area as I began thinking about what I wanted to preach on. And as I was looking for a particular message, I stumbled across this one. I said, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. This is what God's calling me to. God has called you for something only you can do. He has gifted you uniquely and has placed you here in this congregation to do something He trusts only you to do. Now, here's the crazy thing is God doesn't need you. He has absolutely no need of you. 
He can do whatever he wants in his own power. He doesn't need any of us. Yet he has chosen us. He has asked us to come along with him just like take your child to work day. Every day we get up, we get to go to work with daddy. Every day. He has equipped you and gifted you and called you and placed you here in this body for whatever that season is to do the things He has called you to do that He prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. Before He spoke and said, let there be light, He knew you, He ordained you, He called you, He had a plan for you, and He has begun to set that in motion. So remember the price that was paid that you might be where you are today. And live that out. Live it out not just out of obligation because you're commanded to do it. Do it because you love Jesus. Do it because you want to work, you want to walk in a manner that's worthy as I've already said. Do it because when people, you, when people look at you, you want them to look and see there's somebody that loves Jesus and that's walking in a way that glorifies Him because they love Him. It's real easy to spot somebody that's doing it because Jesus said to do it. They're never happy. They follow all these rules and do all these things hoping it'll make Jesus happy when Jesus says, won't you just come sit with me? Won't you just come spend some time with me? Won't you just come talk with me? Won't you just come work with me? And all that other stuff will figure itself out. Paul goes on to say, as he continues in this thought, but shift gears a little bit, that the church was giving corporate gifts to equip every member. Look at me in verses 11 through 13. He says in verse 11, And he, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." Now, that is a mouthful. I could have spent the entire morning preaching on just this segment. But Paul says, God in His wisdom, Christ in His infinite wisdom and grace, has given this special class of gifts. Not because they're better gifts, not because they're more important gifts, but because He designed them to accomplish a function. He gave pastors, He gave pastor teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. He gave those to equip you for the work of the ministry to build you up into maturity in the faith. The first little church I pastored had the wrong concept of this. They believed they had hired a professional. Preacher, we hired you to go visit the sick and to see the people that come to visit the church and to go preach the gospel and we'll be here on Sunday morning setting a pew. No. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere. I'm not a professional. Your pastor's not a professional. You say, well, we pay him every Sunday. No. Your pastor has been called by God and uniquely gifted by God to do this incredible, arduous task. Look at what it says. And I want you to think about this. 
He says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Whatever your ministry is, whatever the ministry of this church is, your ministry to one another, the ministry to the outside world, but it doesn't stop there. To build up the body of Christ, to build you up, to strengthen you, to make you into who God would have you be. And to the knowledge of the Son of God, to give you knowledge, to impart wisdom to you, to mature manhood and womanhood, to make you mature servants, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Your pastor, prophets, evangelists have all been called, have all been gifted to help mold you into the image of Christ. So that you might one day stand before the Savior and hear those words. I hope you all hear that is my heart's desire that you all hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So that you were holy and blameless and spotless before the Lord. So that you can say, Jesus, look at all I did for you out of love. That is your pastor's desire. That is his heart's desire. That doesn't mean he doesn't visit the sick. That he doesn't do other ministry. But it means his primary responsibility is to equip you to do those things. So you can fulfill what God has called you to do. But look with me as Paul finishes up this thought and he begins talking about an every member ministry. Verses 14 through 16. He says, God has done all these things. He's given us these people to equip us to the fullness of Christ for the work of the ministry. In verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about to every one of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness, deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him. Who is the head? Who is the head? From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, by which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says, we are to begin by teaching the truth. The truth of God. Not false doctrine, not what we think the Word may be, but what the Word is. So that we may be equipped. And we are to speak the truth, to speak the truth in love. We are to love one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, and rebuke one another. James says, in James chapter 5 verse 20, Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Rebuking your brothers, church or your sister, church discipline isn't about you horrible, terrible person. Get out of here. We don't love you. It's all about I love you too much to see you live this way, to violate the commands of Christ and to be in God's chastisement. Won't you please, please, please Turn around and come back because I love you too much to see you suffer and be under God's judgment. We are to speak in love. Whether it's so good to see you today or to encourage one another, to walk by one another's side, but to rebuke one another when it's necessary so that we as a body might be built up. He goes on to say that we do this. We have an every-member ministry. 
When every part, every person does their part. He talks all in, the, all in verse 16 here. He says, from whom the whole body, whose head is Christ, back in 15, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when every part is working properly, makes the body grow. And we're going to hold off on that last little part. This church needs you. This church will never function as well as it could without you. It will never be as successful. It will never fully complete its ministry if you aren't pulling your part. Several years ago, now I don't like to run, but I do spend a lot of time in the gym. And several years ago, we did a run for God. And and I decided I would get into running because I had done some in the past. And I started running and I eventually worked my way up to four miles. Now, if you're a runner... Four miles may only be a good warm-up for you. For me, that was a major accomplishment. It's all I wanted to run. I said, people running 10 miles, I think there are no bears in Florence. Why in the devil did you run 10 miles? I've never seen a bear, and you always run 10 miles in that same area. If I had seen a bear in that area, I would not be running there again. What is your problem? But my mother informed me a few years ago that explained a lot of the issues I have, that bad joints run in our family. And I thought, well, that explains my shoulders and my knees. I don't run anymore. I quit running on the asphalt because I couldn't walk after I ran. I started running on the treadmill. And one after about the second or third time, I started climbing the steps at work because I don't generally take the elevator. I got halfway up the stairs and thought, I can't go up and I can't go down. I'm going to have to call somebody to come get me. My knees hurt so bad, I couldn't stand it. And I had to quit running. I don't run anymore because my knees don't work like they should. I don't know what's wrong with them. I don't know if it's bad cartilage. I don't know if it's soft. I don't know what it is. But God didn't build me to run, obviously. So I don't run. If you are the knees of this church, if you're the cartilage, if you're the patella, if you're the ACL, whatever it is, and you're not doing your part, this church will never run. It'll never be fast. It'll never have endurance. It'll never get where it needs to go. You may think you're not important. You may think you don't have a role to play. You are incredibly important. You are unbelievably important. I don't care if the only thing you do here is turn the air on or the heat on or clean the bathrooms or or vacuum the floor. Look, nobody wants to come to a church and there's no toilet paper in the bathroom. Nobody wants to come to a church that's miserably hot or miserably cold. Nobody wants to come to a church that's dirty. The janitor's one of the most important people or person in any facility. They're incredibly important. I don't know what God's called you to do. I don't know what God's gifted to you. I don't know why God placed you here. And you may not have figured that out yet, but God will show you. Try anything. And if it doesn't work, then try something else. So, like the first little Baptist church, I held nearly every job. The only one I didn't hold was the WMU director. That's the women's ministry. And I told them I'd wear a dress if they'd let me try it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I tried all of these various positions. And and even now, I used to be a youth minister. I worked for the youth for a while at Trinity. That's not my calling anymore. I taught five-year-old boys for a while to fill in. That is certainly not my calling. But I did it and I tried it to find my place. And listen, when you meet somebody that has found what God has called them to do, they won't shut up about it. 
Their face lights up every time they, they talk about it. And they come to this realization that I go and do what I do Monday from 8 to 5 or whatever the schedule is so that I can put a roof over my head and food on my table so I can show up to do this thing for God. This is what allows me to live in this world so I can accomplish this thing because this is what I'm made for. This is what I'm wired for. This is what God has given me to do. And I am so happy I am found it. And look at what Paul says is the purpose of all this, the goal of all this, the reason for all this he's talked about. The tail end of verse 16. So that it may, the body, build itself up in love. So that it may build itself up in love. You are a body of believers, united in one faith, held together by love. And when you serve the Lord God in whatever capacity it is He's given you, you walk worthy of the calling with which He has called you. And no matter how insignificant you think your role is, it is vital to build this body up in love. It is what makes this church function. It's what makes it sing. It's what makes it appealing. It's what draws other people in. It's what builds other people up. Because if you're not doing your job, it either isn't getting done at all, or someone else has to do it, which means they can't function fully in their calling. I was under the really bad mistake for years in the first little Baptist church I was a member of. If nobody do the job, I'd do it. Somebody's got to do it. And one day I realized God didn't call me to do this stuff. And if I'm doing this stuff, I'm giving someone else an excuse not to. So if they asked me to do something and I didn't feel it was God's will, I just said, no, I'm not doing it. That's somebody else's responsibility to let them do it. And if they don't do it, that's between them and God. I'm going to focus on what God's called me to do. You are incredibly loved, incredibly blessed. I don't think we fully understand the love with which the Savior loves us or the price He paid for us so that we may have a relationship with Him and eternal life with Him. Jesus said, that's not enough. I want more for you. I want you to be able to share in what I do, to have a taste of what it is to be like me, to see the things I see and understand the things I understand, to see people come to faith, to see them grow in their faith, to see them walk with me, to see the light come on, to see them live an abundant life. And therefore, I'm going to give you this gift that I paid for with my blood so that you can have a part of my ministry and that you can minister to your brothers and sisters in Christ and help them be all that God has called them to be. So, brother, I don't know if your elders come or the deacons come, but uh, we're going to let the, the musicians, the choir, whoever it is that comes. And I don't know what business you need to do with God this morning, but if you need to come talk with me, if you need to come talk with somebody else, if you just need to come pray, you do it. If you don't know what God's gift is for you, you come and ask Him and He'll show you. If you're not using it, you come and ask Him to forgive you and to begin using you, and trust me, He will. Maybe what you need to do, maybe what you need to do more than anything else this morning is to go find a brother or a sister in Christ who has used their gift and affected you or your children or your family in some way to help you be what God has called you to be. Just go love on them and thank them. 
I don't know what God's had for you today, but you do business with God however you need to. We have been blessed. Thank God for what he has laid upon us through you, brother. We have been invited to become part of, and I love the way you phrase this, every member ministry accept the challenge and the charge. Let us now stand, how appropriate, our closing hymn, 332, Lead On, O King Eternal. And if God is calling you to come forward, please do so. Reverend Barlow, if you don't mind, at the conclusion after the flame is brought up, would you go to the back and speak as we depart? May the grace of God equip us. May the Spirit of God unite us. May the peace of God enfold us. And may the love of God uphold us. And the wisdom of God control us. In thy name we pray. Amen.